0: I am here today to dab on some haters. That's right. It is Halloween, a.k.a. Reformation Day. Redubbed Halloween because all the anti-Lutherans out there are so scared of this bat in their belfry telling them, Hey, is that in the Bible? Is that, is, is that really in the Bible? What you are doing there? What you are saying there? That's right. It's Reformation Day it is so reformation day and while i am not a polemics type of guy i thought today i would just engage in just a little bit of it because it's fun and i want to feel triumphant after all if you go to the very lutheran project telegram you'll notice that i put up a recording there that's not on the website it is not on the soundcloud I put it up there on the telegram precisely because it was too hot for handling for a lot of Lutherans out there, getting to the point that the Lutheran Church needs a new reformation. We are in a really sorry state, and we need to fix that. We might not. So, given that, I want to give a little bit of love to everybody else. The Lutheran Church needs a reformation, but at least we have the right doctrine. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about other denominations for half a second here. Roman Catholics like to call the Protestant Reformation the Protestant revolt, not a reformation. Oh no, this is about Martin Luther rebelling against the Holy Mother Catholic Church. I want to know after I've read some of these polemics, just how true that is, guys. Did you really think about this one critically? Here is from 1peter5.com. Uh, German bishops hail arch-heretic Luther as teacher of the faith. This is by David Martin, and it was published about six years ago, August 16th, 2016. And it says, The Catholic bishops of Germany are praising Martin Luther, calling him a gospel witness and teacher of the faith. Wow, thank you, Catholic bishops of Germany. That's true. And lamenting that the church hasn't given him an adequate hearing. In a report released August 9th by the German Bishops' Conference, Bishop Gerhard Fieger, chairman of the German Bishops' Ecumenical Commission, asserts that theological differences have been reevaluated and the Catholic Church may recognize today what was important in the Reformation. He regrets that the Reformation, through the centuries, has been seen in a negative, derogatory light. Quote. The Reformation in ecumenical perspective, Bishop Gerhard Fiege of Magdeburg, chairman of the German Bishop's Ecumenical Commission, said the history of the Reformation has encountered a changeable reception in the Catholic Church, where its events and protagonists were long seen in a negative, derogatory light. While the wounds are still felt to the present day, it is gratifying that Catholic theology has succeeded in the meantime in soberly reconsidering the events of the 16th century, he said in the report published this week by Germany's Bonn-based Bishops' Conference. Bishop Fage said the history and consequences of the Reformation would be debated during its upcoming 500th anniversary, but added that there was consensus that previous mutual condemnations were invalid. Quote, Memories of the Reformation and the subsequent separation of Western Christianity are not free from pain, Bishop Fagg said, but through lengthy ecumenical dialogue, the theological differences rooted in the period have been reevaluated, as is documented in the work presented by our ecumenical commission and Boy, howdy, this was six years ago, and one peter five dot com these writers are very upset. Oh my goodness, are they upset hearing that Uh, Catholic bishops would be nice to Lutherans or Luther. So what does he write? Are the German bishops daring to question the church's denunciation of Martin Luther? Are they accusing the Council of Trent of having been derogatory after it rightfully refuted Luther's errors for the greater liberty of God's people? If there is one figure in church history who could be called derogatory, it is Martin Luther. We'll get to what he says there but real quick let me answer that the greater liberty of god's people a product of trent no absolutely not the council of trent was one gigantic big unfurled middle finger pointed at everybody that looked even vaguely protestant and they did their absolute best to use maccounsel theology here to demonstrate how great and perfect they were and how, by the way, if you say anything that sounds Protestant, you're damned. And, oh yes, by the way, now we're going to add some books to the canon. Yes, if your Roman Catholic friend ever tells you Martin Luther took books away from the canon of Scripture, they're talking about the Deuterocanon. canon. You know, Maccabees. Cyrac, that sort of thing. They'll say, oh yeah, Luther just totally just excised those from the scripture because they didn't support his heresies. Um, those books were not declared canon by the Roman Catholic Church until Trent so that they could say, you don't even have the complete Bible, Protestant. <laughs> Who gave you the Bible in the first place, prot? Come on. There is no liberty or greater liberty in the Council of Trent none whatsoever in fact it restricted and bound christians that were in the roman church more than they had ever been restricted and bound so no it did not refute luther's quote-unquote errors for the greater liberty of god's people not a single chance but let's see what uh this one peter five website likes to say here consider his own words about the catholic church Quote, this is from Luther's works, volume 41. We too were formerly stuck in the behind of this hellish whore, this new church of the Pope, so that we regret having spent so much time and energy in that vile hole. But God be praised and thanked that he rescued us from the scarlet whore. Again, Luther says, quote, I can with good conscience consider the Pope a fart ass and an enemy of God. He cannot consider me an ass, for he knows that I am more learned in the scriptures than he and all his asses are. The papal ass wants to be the lord of the church, although he is not a Christian, believes nothing, and can no longer do anything but fart like an ass. I personally, Mr. 1 Peter 5 writer, I stand behind Luther's words there. Guess what? Your church was engaged in rank simony. It was bad. It's still bad. Luther was right. Here is from newadvent.org, a Roman Catholic website. Here is their definition of simony. Simony is usually defined as, quote, a deliberate intention of buying or selling for a temporal price such things as are spiritual or annexed unto spirituals. That's what indulgences are. That is 100% what indulgences are. This is New Advent saying, yes, as a matter of fact, you were selling grace. That's simony. That's evil. Now, of course, New Advent does have to cope with indulgences, so they say, it is unlawful to exchange ecclesiastical benefices by private authority to accept any payment whatever for holy oils to sell blessed rosaries or crucifix. Such objects lose, if sold, all the indulgences previously attached to them. Simony of ecclesiastical law is, of course, a variable element, since the prohibitions of the church may be abrogated or fall into disuse. Oh, okay. So it's okay when we do simony, not okay if anybody else does simony. Sure. Let's let's just go ahead and go with that, so we can move on here in the... German bishops M- M- heretics. 1 Peter 5 article. They say, we seem to have forgotten that Luther was a raving heretic who was driven by the devil to tear the faith asunder in Europe. His definition of repentance was to reject Catholicism evidenced by his hateful words against the mass. Wait, 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 wait. Um, Luther had absolutely zero intention to destroy the faith. He was trying to reform the faith, getting back to where they should have been. You know, this has happened in church history before, and people just kind of accept it as a necessary reform. For instance, the iconoclast controversies in which a bunch of Greek Orthodox were beating up monks and nuns and destroying icons because of um, a false reading of the Second Commandment. Yes. An entire ecumenical council was called because the vast majority of the church was iconoclastic during that time. This has happened in the past. It's okay to say that. That's what Luther wanted to do, was reform. But they want to say he's a raving heretic who was driven by the devil. Uh, let, me, let me just ask quick questions here about this. Uh, 1 Peter 5, guys. Is reading your Bible something from the devil? True or false? Yes or no? Because I can tell you right now the Roman Catholic Church offers plenary indulgences for people who read their Bibles. So are you saying that the the devil, quote-unquote, working through Martin Luther when he tells people to read their Bibles, that he was actually doing a favor for the Roman Catholic Church? Was the devil actually, like, you know, helping, helping out the papists here and saying, Ah, yes, I'm going to use Luther to tell people to do Christian things that uh, 400 years from now the Catholic Church is going to say you should do, but previously they'll say it was bad. Hmm, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's get into his words, his hateful words against the Mass. It is indeed upon the Mass, as on a rock, that the whole papal system is built with its monasteries, its bishoprics, its collegiate churches, its altars, its ministries, its doctrines, with all its guts. All these cannot fail to crumble once their sacrilegious and abominable Mass That's Martin Luther against Henry, King of England. Um, That's not wrong. It really isn't. Masses at the time had mercenary masses where you could pay a priest to do a mass for you. That's more simony. Then there's the sacrificial theology of the mass, the idea that you have to have an unbloody sacrifice or something to re-offer Christ to God as though it was not finished when Jesus said, it is finished. Yes, the mass had abuses. The mass needed to be fixed, and if you fix it, then a lot of the papacy crumbles. But we continue on here in this article. Luther also contributed to the mass murder of 70,000 to 100,000 peasants during the German peasant war, which his reformation helped to spark. Consider the following from Luther. To kill a peasant is not murder. It is helping to extinguish the conflagration. Therefore, let whoever can smite, slay, and stab them secretly or openly, remembering that nothing can be more poisonous, hurtful, or devilish than a rebel. On the obstinate, hardened, blinded peasants let no one have mercy. But let whoever is able hew, stab, and slay them like mad dogs. That's from the Erlangen edition of Luther's works. Um, They don't want you to know what that's actually from. That's from the against the thieving murdering hordes of peasants book. They don't want you reading that. They'll cite the Erlingen edition of Luther's works. They will not tell you that at that time Luther was writing against an unjust revolt that the peasants were doing because they decided they were all suddenly extremely angry Anabaptists that wanted to kill German princes. 1 Peter 5 doesn't want you to know that. They just want to make him look like a meanie face that said, Grr, peasants. Murder them for no reason. Grr. And of course... They have to have the obligatory uh, table talk stuff here. Luther furthermore blasphemed Christ, thus revealing his deficit of faith. For instance, he said Christ committed adultery, first of all, with the woman at the well, secondly, with Mary Magdalene, and thirdly, with the woman taken in adultery. Luther's Works, American Edition, volume 54, page 154, Concordia, Publishing House. They don't want you to know. That's from table talk. That's stuff that people said Luther said, not verified writings of Luther's. We don't know if he said that. Lord knows he did in multiple occasions declare Christ to be 100% sinless. So these guys, man, they're doing just a little bit of the, uh, the weaselly kind of activities of Catholic polemics, where you, you, you say something and you back it up with a source that isn't verified by anything. Because I can't tell you whether or not Luther ever said it, and if he did, it's, uh, it really is taken out of context. But for the sake of good faith, let's go ahead and read the entire quote with the parts that they left out that make it not so scandalous. Quote, Christ was an adulterer for the first time with the woman at the well, for it was said nobody knows what he's doing with her. John 4, 27. Again, he was an adulterer with Magdalene, and still again with the adulterous woman in John 8, whom he let off so easily. So the good Christ had to become an adulterer before he died. Luther's works, 54, colon 154. What does that mean? He's saying that Christ was called an adulterer. Jesus was accused of absolutely everything that you could be accused of, not that he actually did it. Luther, even in the table talk, was not going to say something quite so heinous as they're accusing him of saying. But by all means, 1 Peter 5, make yourselves look stupid to anybody that actually wants to look up what you're trying to put in Luther's mouth here. Let's let's go ahead. But we continue on with the article here. As for his teaching on salvation and justification, the man was a theological crackpot who called humble contrition hypocrisy and who insisted that Jesus died on the cross so that we may sin freely without the fear of eternal punishment. Consider Luther's own words, quote, Be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. No sin will separate us from the Christ, even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day from Luther's letter to Philip Melanchthon, August 1st, 1521. And they're doing more of this bad faith argumentation here, where they don't tell you the context, they don't tell you what he actually said, they don't tell you that this letter is fragmentary, so you can't get the full context. But here's the actual paragraph that he wrote. And this is Luther, again, to Melanchthon. If you are a preacher of mercy... Do not preach an imaginary, but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary, sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner, and let your sins be strong, or, quote, sin boldly. But let your trust in Christ be stronger, and rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we are here, for this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. It suffices that through God's glory, we have recognized the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. No sin can separate us from him, even if we were to kill or commit adultery thousands of times each day. Do you think such an exalted Lamb paid merely a small price with a meager sacrifice for our sins? Pray hard, for you are quite a sinner. This is Martin Luther here in a letter about Roman Catholic false piety where it was assumed, according to quite a few monastics, that you were holy and good and totally not a sinner. If only you prayed your rosary enough times, if you did enough fastings, if you whipped yourself enough times, and if you didn't do these things, you needed to repent of not doing them. Luther's saying, no, 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 no. You need to repent of the real sins because you are a real sinner. Go to Christ for mercy over your real sins. 1 Peter 5, they don't want to go over that because if they did, people reading it would have went, oh man, this Luther guy has a good point. Maybe we should listen to more of what he said. Uh, They don't want you doing that. So, yep, that's how haters work, dude. They are not going to give you an honest treatment of the things. Let's, Let's hear more from this article. Each one of Luther's charges against the Catholic Church were irrational and false. For instance, he accused the clergy of selling indulgences in the confessional, which is not true. When penitents came to confession, it was common at the time for priests to administer a penance in the form of having them place money in the church's treasury, because funds were needed to complete the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome. We might say a Peter's Pence was being raised, which should have excited praise, but this infuriated Luther because he couldn't tolerate the idea of funding the papal pig and his palace. Wop, wop. Do you realize, 1 Peter 5, guys, how much you just owned yourself? They weren't selling indulgences at the confessional, they were just ordering people if you want to be forgiven of your sins, pay us! <laughs> We weren't doing anything wrong except telling people quite succinctly that they had to pay us in order to be forgiven. What's wrong with that? And we were trying to build a building, so it was really important to withhold forgiveness and salvation and mercy from people. Like, these people do not realize just how bad they just made themselves look. Now... (laughs) I'll include the uh, link to the article here in the episode description. I'm just going to read one more paragraph from it cuz the rest of it isn't really all that uh, all that special. But it says, "quote If Luther had all the classic markings of a Freemason, it was precisely because he was an honorary member of the Rosicrucian Freemasons, which would explain why he rejected six books of the Bible and why he spearheaded his heinous revolt against Christ, which led half of Europe away from the Christian faith. Oh my goodness. That is a deluge of stupid that I just read. Classic markings of a Freemason? He was a Freemason? Really? We're we're gonna get into some conspiracy schizo posts on whether or not this German friar here ever had the time to go out and be a stinking Freemason. Oh, but he was an honorary member of the Rosicrucian Freemasons. They probably get that idea from the fact that Rosicrucian means Rosy Cross, dude. And Luther's rose is a cross with a rose. And they're probably like, Oh my goodness, this means he was doing alchemy, wasn't he? And of course they say he rejected six books of the Bible. Oh yes, those books that the Roman Catholic Church rejected until the Council of Trent. So they could tell Protestants, Yeah, dude, you don't have the whole Bible. Come on. Oh, come on. This is absolutely hilarious, guys. And no... It's not a heinous revolt against Christ leading half of Europe away from the Christian faith to say you shouldn't sell forgiveness at the confessional or for indulgences. It is not leading half of Europe away from the Christian faith to tell people to believe in Jesus. For crying out loud, can we be honest about that? Now that said, Roman Catholicism is not the only group that has all these terrible misconceptions about good old Doc Martin Luther here. Here is from becomeorthodox.org. Oh yes, this is Martin Luther's confession of Orthodox Christianity, become Orthodox. Let's read from the middle of the article here. Sadly, despite several respectful exchanges between the Holy Orthodox Church and the Protestant Reformers in the subsequent decades, the latter were not willing to abandon the numerous innovations in the faith that they had introduced in the Reformation. Even more tragic is the fact that the nature of the Reformation itself, which gave every Protestant the right to interpret the Holy Scripture and the faith in his own way, gave rise to countless divisions among Protestants, Which is why we see an endless list of different Protestant churches, like Lutheran, Baptist, non denominational, etc., in our society. Although they came from the same 16th-century reformation led by Martin Luther, they are hopelessly divided on matters of faith. In fact, many prominent non-denominational churches today would consider Martin Luther a heretic, or at least misguided because he stood for things like communion of the Body and Blood of Christ, the ever-virginity of the Holy Theotokos Mary, and the pure example of the saints of the Church. Most modern Protestants have never heard such things preached in their gatherings. Well, okay, hold on. You're saying that the Protestants were innovators. They had numerous innovations, you say. Do you realize, uh, ortho bros, that your whole church is a gigantic mountain of innovations, just put one brick at a time, one century at a time? Was anybody in the first century church sitting there as a monk praying the Jesus Prayer to achieve the vision of the Tabor Light? No, that comes from Palamas. And maybe there were a few monks doing it, but let's face it, hesychasm was an innovation. Or let's look at the liturgies where the Eastern Orthodox look to Mary and say, literally, and I quote, save us. Was anybody saying to Mary, please be my savior in the first century church or the second century church? Were any of them saying that? No, that is an innovation that was not with the original church. The main difference between, quote-unquote, Protestant innovation and Eastern Orthodox innovation is that it happened more slowly for the Orthodox, just little innovations at a time until it becomes the big mountain of Orthodoxy that it is today. Whereas where you see some misguided Protestant innovation, quote-unquote, not talking Lutheran doctrine here, but whenever you see something new pop up, like, say, dispensationalism, at least those guys are getting what they're saying kind of from the Bible. As opposed to a bunch of monks saying stuff over 2,000 years, typically from being mad at somebody saying something. For instance, did you know the Bible doesn't say you're damned if you're a Calvinist? It really doesn't, but oh boy did orthodoxy say that! Oh boy, did they say people shouldn't be reading their Bibles because they might accidentally become a Calvinist. (laughs) The article continues, The sad irony here is that Martin Luther rebelled against the primacy of the Pope of Rome and actually saw the truth of holy orthodoxy, but unfortunately he chose to make everyone a pope instead, which led to even more division and confusion. Your church just had a gigantic, massive, super mega schism between Moscow and Constantinople. Don't talk to me about division. Y'all have been having so many divisions. Yes. Is sola scriptura something that is messy? Yes, it is. I will just be the first to admit that in a crowded room. I will say sola scriptura can be messy because you have to have an actual teaching magisterium per Ephesians chapter 4. God gives us the spiritual gift of teachers. But if somebody doesn't recognize that teacher, they're going to find a different teacher that does that. Sure. Yep, division happens. It just happens. I'm gonna just deal with it. But if you're going to look at me and say, there is no salvation outside my church, which just so happened to split off from the other guys who are saying there's no salvation outside of their church, and then a thousand years ago, they split off from the other guys who are saying there's no salvation outside of my church, then not only is there division on your part in your denomination, but you're also telling people to play Russian roulette with their souls, hoping that they got it right when it comes to which church that they joined hoping that it is the actual one, holy, true, apostolic, original, OG church, as opposed to all the other guys saying the exact same thing. Now, to be fair to the guy writing this article, he does say, if Martin Luther saw truth in holy orthodoxy, should we be influenced by Protestantism in things like Protestant style songs and art, or... Should we share more of the truth of orthodoxy with our thirsty Protestant brothers and sisters? I absolutely believe it is possible to once again have a respectful dialogue with these sincere, good-hearted people who are thirsty for the truth. But in order to do so, we must understand our identity as orthodox Christians, members of the church that possesses the deposit of the apostolic faith and the fullness of the truth. Okay, so I understand that at least you're trying to be nice here. You're not like 1 Peter 5 having this um, spasmodic, ugly attack, right? I do believe if you're going to have a dialogue, we need to talk about your doctrines. Absolutely, we need to talk seriously about Orthodox doctrines and why uh, Lutherans are probably never, ever, ever going to hold to them. But at least he's being nice. But don't pretend Orthodoxy doesn't have problems. Don't pretend that it's only Protestants that are divided. Don't pretend that it's only Protestants that hurl senseless anathemas at everybody. And don't pretend that your church is 100% squeaky clean just because it's old. All right? We can have a mature conversation, sure, but today is Reformation Day, so get dabbed on. I repeat, get dabbed on. Lutheranism is objectively the correct denomination. It is biblical Christianity. I will die on that hill. We are justified by faith alone. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I will not hear somebody say, but he was a Rosicrucian. Or, but what about other other Protestant denominations? There's so many of them. Okay, like whatever, I'm going to stick with Jesus And I'm going to go to the denomination that preaches Jesus Christ crucified for me, for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins, the sins of the entire world. Let us glorify God with true faith in Jesus, rather than listening to the haters out there who, again, can get dabbed on. Happy Reformation Day, everybody. Amen and amen.